Welcome, listeners, to a podcast that seeks to ignite the flames of inspiration and empowerment within the ServiceNow community. I'm Farah Wells, your host and the director of Linking Humans, the number one global partner for ServiceNow recruitment. Join us on this journey as we venture deep into the world of ServiceNow leaders, discover the very essence of their motivations and the unique mindset that paved the way for their remarkable success. Okay, so today I'd really like to welcome a fantastic guest that we've got on our show today. His name is Rob Jenkins. Now, he's been working in the IT industry for over 30 years. Now, in the last nine years, uh, Rob has held leadership positions at Atos, KPMG and ServiceNow, working with the largest enterprise customers of ServiceNow to build and execute their ServiceNow platform strategy. Now, most recently, Rob was COO for Northern Europe for the Atos ServiceNow practice. So, Rob, a huge welcome to you and thanks for being on our show today. Thank you, Farah. Morning. Yeah, morning to you. So, yeah, look, it's brilliant to have you on. Um, I mean, Rob, look, you're background your experience you know it's just uh it's just got that real wow factor to it um you know you've got a real journey um tell you know it'd be great for everyone to hear how you first got introduced to service now and how you've kind of achieved such great success reaching the positions that you have done so far in your in your career okay yeah i mean i, I suppose i started my service now journey probably nine years ago now um Back when ServiceNow was still a big firm, but um, very much a kind of single value proposition aimed at an IT buyer. Um, And I came there through, like uh, many events for many people in their career, through people that I know. So I'd worked with some people at VMware, where I had a a great career, great time at VMware, not dissimilar journey of... um, you know, joining a very fast-growing, very dominant IT company and, and having a great career there. And then, of course, in our industry, like, like many others, um, you know, people move around in the industry. And I spoke to someone who spoke to someone, and I ended up having a conversation, and, and I ended up going and working for ServiceNow. Um, but it was, yeah, originally through the power of the network, which has uh, served me well um, throughout my career, really. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And, you know, it, it's like talking about the power of network. I think that's so important for people to kind of learn that kind of skill. Um, how did you do it? Like any kind of advice that you'd give to young people to kind of set themselves well, up? I've been reflecting. I think my last five jobs probably have come because of a connection in my network and that's never been a a sort of cynical um you know i must build my network because at some point if i do something for that person they can do something for me um it it's really just a product of you know working with people honestly openly um getting to know people and, and you build trust with people you know it's a I think it's a very natural human tendency to to be drawn towards people that you know, um, people that you're familiar with or who have impressed you. And do you know what, funnily, it's not always the people that you necessarily got on with best when you were working with them. I've had great networking results, if you like, not necessarily all jobs, but 
great networking interactions with people. There may have been times I clashed heads with them. I mean, just, just recently, I put a lady in touch with someone uh, in the team I was running to act as a mentor because she was a very senior person. And, you know, we, we got in touch um, to talk about the possibility of doing that. And, you know, we had a great time and, and really enjoyed reconnecting. Um, and we were laughing about the fact that we hadn't always seen eye to eye when we actually worked together. Um, but that process of challenging, working in a challenging environment sometimes had, had actually built quite a bond. Um, so I would say, don't, you know, when you think about your network as your career goes on, and clearly the longer you work, the bigger your network gets, you know, it kind of snowballs up. You might be surprised by the people that become a valuable network and a valuable contact, contact in the future. It might be people you didn't necessarily work with that much. It might be people that you really challenged each other. Um, or, of course, it would be people that you, know, you really knew well and, and you really liked and trusted each other. But, yeah, I've certainly been surprised on a number of occasions about how powerful that, that network is. When you start to really think about, well, I'd like to talk to this company about something or, I'd, you know, there's an opportunity here. And it may not be just a job opportunity. It may be a collaboration or partnership or even a sales opportunity. And so, yeah, kind of the older I get, the more I realise how important that network is. You, you invest a lot of time in people at work. Yeah. Um, without digressing too far, I do wonder whether the, the change in the way that we work, the more hybrid working, the less face-to-face, -face, whether how that changes that dynamic. I mean, I think the dynamic's still there. Clearly, you still get to know people and you, and you work with them. But I do wonder whether the sort of the quality and the type of the networking relationships that we build will change over time. I'm, I'm, and it may not be for the worse. It, it just will be a slightly different dynamic, I think. Mm, mm, definitely. And what about like social media as well coming into play, like LinkedIn? Like I know people are looking to add connections of people that necessarily they might not even met before right but they work in the same industry do you think that's a good strategy like do you think people should be building up networks in that respect I, I do it's clearly really important <clears throat> but I think you you again well your, your network is a is a multi-channel thing these days isn't it you know there's there's the people that you physically work with the people that you used to work with the people that you stay in touch with socially, you know, there's lots of people in my social network. Who, I, I got married recently and, uh, yeah. you know, we had quite a small wedding, but three of the people there were people that I used to work with at ServiceNow. So, you know, there's, there's people that you build a, an ongoing sort of social relationship with outside of work. And then there's people that you get to know in a social network and, or a social media network. And that could be a, a professional network like LinkedIn or, or maybe it's Facebook or something. But even there, there's different types of relationship, isn't there? There's a, I can think of people that I interact with quite a lot on, say, LinkedIn, but I 
didn't really know them that much when I worked together with them. And in fact, I interact with them more on LinkedIn than I, than I used to when I worked with them. And then there's people that I interact with on LinkedIn that I've got to know through social media. So I, I think taking a holistic approach to all your relationships and all the channel, channels and mechanisms to develop and invest in them. I think if there's one golden rule for networking is, is there has to be a fair exchange of value, if you know what I mean. Um, you, you know, you can't just cynically go out and say, you know, just tap people up for want of a better word. The, the strongest networking relationships are born out of having worked together, having built trust, or, you know, you do something for someone, they do something for you. And, I, and again, I don't mean that in a cynical, you do this, I'll do that. Just over time, those, those exchanges happen. Yeah. And, and I guess that's true whichever media you're using, you know, whether mm. it's supporting someone for something on LinkedIn or the fact that you worked together for five years. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. And what, what do you think about, uh, you know, I, I know ServiceNow has a lot of events, like the forum, uh, mm. they have the dev meetups. Um, what do you think about those kind of social events? Is it, is it worth somebody investing their time, getting to know people on that level? Yeah, I, I think they're the most important things that we do outside of our core jobs. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough over the years to go to lots of ServiceNow um, knowledge events and sales kickoffs. I went to kickoff last year and and to knowledge. I'm going to the Now Forum on Wednesday, um, and you know, just this May in in Vegas at Knowledge, to be able to just walk around the the exhibition floor and and reconnect with people. Yeah. You know, I, I I carved a little bit of time out. In, in May, I had a pretty busy schedule when I was there, but I'd carved a little bit of time out. And in hour and a half, two hours, I just walked around and went to the, in, to the different stands and sought out the people that I know. And, you know, it, it actually was really motivating. It really stimulated how much a discussion on how much was going on in the ServiceNow market. And I've really enjoyed it. But also had follow-up conversations back in the UK. You know, it seems a bit bizarre to fly to Vegas to meet someone who actually lives an hour away from you. Yeah. Um, so I have subsequently met with some of those people again. And yeah, I, I think they're really powerful. And again, I referred to it earlier. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how the new ways of working are going to impact the way we work. Um, clearly, there's a lot of efficiency and a lot of benefit to be had by less travel, overhead, less cost, less time. Um, but I think it's imperative not to lose sight of how valuable personal face-to-face -face interactions are. Mm. And, you know, if you can do that in the office, that's great. If you can do that, you know, with people that you know, meet for a coffee, meet for lunch, go talk about an opportunity, just, just talk, be a mentor, be a mentee whatever it might be, um, those are really important, but nothing gets you that, um, that level of human interaction and networking that a big, well, any kind of social-based event does. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge 
believer in how important those events are. I don't think you can underestimate it, and I think it's a, it, I mean, a, a really valuable investment of time. Yeah, I'm really no, looking forward good. to Wednesday, actually. I yeah. just know I'll be walking around now for them, you know, and you won't be able to get 10 yards without bumping into someone that you know and just just catching up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'll, I'll see you there as well because I will be there to. as well. So, yeah, amazing. So, yeah, that's brilliant. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, it, this all sounds amazing. And, and I suppose it's having that right mindset and that right attitude, you know, and maybe that confidence as well to be able to kind of, you know, put yourselves out there and, and build those relationships. Just talking about your mindset and how did you kind of develop it and how do you maintain it as well? Mindset generally or on anything specifically? Oh, I, sp I suppose the mindset to have got to the level that you've got to right now. Because not everybody achieves it, right? It is a triangle. So how, what mindset have you kind of put into place to kind of get to Yeah, I'd, lo I'd like to say that I've had um, a really clear vision and an impeccable plan and executed it flawlessly. And, and of course, <laughs> I haven't, right? Um, now, I can look back with the huge benefit of hindsight and I can pick out some things that you know I kind of will attribute to thought and planning and methodology um, and, and, and let me start with that and then I'll tell you how I think you know you deal with the imperfections in life <clears throat> when I'm talking to people about career development I tend to talk about a fairly simple model you know think about what, what are your needs, be that financial, emotional, material, whatever? Um, what are you good at and what do you like doing? And, you know, and, and arguably there's a fourth dimension of the kind of culture. How, how do you want to do that? But if you keep it really simple, if you start to map those things out, then that gives you a projection of the sort of things you'd like to be doing, the sort of role you'd like to have. And, and a lot of us find it quite difficult to think, well, what's my career plan for the next, even beyond two years, right? If you say, if I said to you, what's your career plan for the next 10 years, that's quite a long way to look out and to visualize. So I always think no matter how far out you're planning, start to evolve what how do those three boxes or circles look? How, what does that Venn diagram look like? You, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying playing golf at the moment, but you know, I'm not a good golfer, um, and so I'd never make a living doing it, and it would never meet all of my needs. So you can see how that Venn diagram. So when you start to make, come to fundamental decisions in your career, one of which the biggest one for me was. Should I stay technical or should I move into leadership positions? I mean, there was a time in my career when I was a, you know, as a kind of global expert in a very specific technical area um, to do with graphics computing on massive supercomputers. And I have to say, I, I absolutely loved it. I, I had so much fun doing what I was doing, working with silicon graphics. You know, I worked on flight simulators and film special effects and an incredibly exciting, interesting stuff. But I reached a point where I had an opportunity more by 
frankly more by luck than judgment, to become a leader. Um, and that was my first management job. So there was almost a day where I had to decide, right, this is kind of the last day I'm writing software. This is the last day I'm, um, you know, getting into the depths of, a, of a, a technical issue to do with performance tuning. And, you know, and I lifted up the level of that technical expertise to be more general, you know, to be able to do pre-sales, to be able to manage and coach other people and design things. But I stopped being hands on the keyboard. So I went, kind of went from keyboard to whiteboard is a, is a journey that I, I think of. So, so I'm not really asking, answering your question very directly, but I, I, I'm kind of getting there, right? So when I think about that point in my career, I did have a decision to make. And I, and I thought about you know, I may not have known it at the time, but I thought about what I wanted to do in my career, what I was good at, what I liked. And, and I made that decision and I made that change. And then I probably, I, I have thought about those things more mindfully as I've made career decisions along the way. So my career probably maps out and looks like it's quite structured and planned. Um, and, and to a degree it is. You know, those individual steps that I've taken have all had decisions and, and whilst I've been working in my career, I've, I've made those decisions. But I, I suppose the fundamental principle I will say has been fairly consistent is having a, a rough idea of what I want to be doing in five years. And then, well, no, probably a fairly clear idea of what I want to be doing in five years. But in terms of those qualities, those boxes that I talked about, the actual individual details of what I'm doing on a basis or a month by month basis, there's a there's you can meander, but but there's a direction of travel. Does that make sense? I'll, I'll give you a. I'm just going to grab something. Yeah. I was lucky enough. I don't know. Can you see that on the screen? Oh yes, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Yeah, for anyone that's listening, that's the Arnold Schwarzenegger book. Yeah, he's written a book called Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life. And I was lucky enough to go and see an event that he ran to publish publicise the book this week. He went to the Royal Albert Hall for an evening wow. with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he, he talked a lot about his life and experiences, which, of course, is fascinating. But the essence of the book is, um, you know, come up with a vision, decide what it is you want to achieve, and the kind of key message is there aren't really any shortcuts. You know, you, you decide what it is you want to achieve. And there's a lot of detail behind this, but essentially the key tenant is, and you've got to work hard. Yeah. You know, and he's really quite direct about the way he describes working hard, but he, you know, he's very clear. And, and I'm fascinated by this outlook because this is a guy who has excelled in multiple things. I mean, very few of us get to excel at anything. Never mind all of the different things he's been the greatest in the world at and, and continues to be. And, you know, he's 76 years old and he's still, the portfolio of things he has drive and influence in is, is massive. Yeah. But I mention it because, you know, there's a lot of talk about career planning and how do you run your career or how do you meet your goals and so on. And to see someone who you're a little bit of in awe of how has this guy achieved 
one of the things he's achieved, never mind the three, four, five, six things that he's achieved. And you distill it down to something really pretty simple. You know, decide what it is you want to do, come up with a plan, and do the work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, okay, I, you make it sound simple, Arnold. Um, but yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know if that... Rel- does that resonate with what I was saying? You know, there's not necessarily black magic to this stuff, right? No, absolutely. And it, it's almost like it's going back to basics. But, you know, what I hear at the moment a lot is, um, you know, people want that work-life balance, right? So I think you and I, when we kind of started in our careers, it was very much like just it was all about work, right? We probably worked so many hours just to make things happen. How? how what's your kind of stance on how the world's... And it's probably since post-covid right since the world's shifted a little bit what's your kind of thoughts on that side of things i think when you're in an office with people all the time and they're the people you socialize with where does work stop and and your social life end you know a lot of my social life was working hard in the office till late and then going out and then you know coming back and doing it all over again um so i think there's that i think there's a bit of a change in the way we socialize when when we work um what i have noticed is where i've seen people having a sort of hybrid working model we may be not going into the office four times a week and maybe it's one to three times a week um but there does seem and i'm i'm encouraged by this it does seem to be a dynamic that there is a day in the week when everyone goes in and that's the day that everyone also goes for a drink after. Yeah. Um, or, or whatever they do. And in fact, a lot of companies obviously don't necessarily do things that are centred around going out for a drink. It might be they go and play um, crazy golf or the darts game or what, whatever it might be. So I, I hope that continues because I think that ability to socialise with and around people you work with just builds a great bond and you know at the end of the day hopefully we're all um working to live and not not living to work right yeah um you you asked originally about work-life balance i think there's some counterintuitive things about the way working practices have shifted because you would think if you're no longer spending 30 to 120 minutes a day commuting um if you're not in an office where you perhaps get distracted or or have you know ad hoc conversations surely you have more time surely everything's more efficient and and i think that can be true for a lot of roles and and a lot of the time but i do think there are times when that isn't true i do think sometimes we find ourselves on the fifth online meeting of the day you know and it's scheduled for half an hour or it's scheduled for an hour and it takes that amount of time and sometimes you look back and think did we need the meeting did it need to be that long did it need to be now does it need to be every week so i do think we sometimes need to question ourselves and don't don't assume that because you're at home and because you're doing all your meetings online that you're necessarily being more effective I think there's a human trait where we take our working week and we fill it in, you know, it's almost like a 
a law of physics like you've got the amount of memory on your phone and you're going to fill it. You've got the amount of memory on your computer and it gets full. So, you know, whose sky, sky recording box, you know, is at 20% capacity? We are all just record a load of nonsense until it's 100% full. So I do think we need to take some slightly different approaches with the hybrid working to maintain that work-life balance. Because the, the other thing about um, working at home more is, even if you physically finish work, okay, no more meetings today, no more work I'm going to do, I'm going to take three steps, I'm out of my office. Have you really finished work? You know, so um, so I do think it's it's quite difficult sometimes for people to unblur that line between work and and, and being at home. Because you don't have the need to switch off or read a book or whatever it might be. Um, so, what am I trying to say? I'm not sure that work-life balance has necessarily got better, despite the fact that we're now supposedly able to work more efficiently and travel less and, and so on. I, I don't know. What do you think? You know, it's, it, you made a really interesting point just previously, which I, I thought was about the social aspect, you know, because a lot of people now, they want remote working. So a lot of people want 100% remote working. Like, what are your thoughts on, like, are people missing out? You know, are people missing out in accelerating their careers and, you know, even pushing the platform forward in terms of, like, the technological advances? Like, do you think there's an element that things might slow down? Things might not progress as if you are having that face-to-face -face all the time. It's certainly changed. Now, the great thing is I think we have choices. And with choice, I think the, the key is to find the right balance. You know, if I get up on a rainy Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock and it's dark, and I think, yeah, I actually don't mind not having to go and get on a train and you know, scrum on a tube or whatever, because I've got that yeah. choice. Um, however, the, the, the challenge with that is that's a short-term perceived benefit. Yeah, well, that was so great not to have to commute today. Or that day when you are on the train and, and it all goes wrong or you're stuck in a traffic jam and you think, oh, man, why did I even leave the house this morning? That, that was a bad decision, right? So those things are very immediate and they happen in the short term. The challenge is, and, and that's great to have that choice. And, you know, sometimes we have things that we need to do in the day where we just need to rattle through, you know, crack through some tasks and get them done. And some jobs are more of that and, and other jobs are, are less of it. But we all have days where we need to do that. Um, I think the challenge is that the acute or accretive impact of not seeing people face to face happens over time you know there's one no one particular day where you're going to say well you didn't go to the office today therefore you haven't built the relationships or learned from people or got that i don't know that intangible benefit of interacting with people um however over time did it you know do you do you lose out by that so i i don't think it i don't think it's better or worse i just think we probably need some slightly 
different thinking to make sure that you know choice is a double-edged sword right if, you, if we make the decisions that benefit us long term then we'll benefit you know so you do only go into the office when you're when you've got positive interaction you've got a group activity planned or you're going to have a strategy day or or something that really benefits from being in the office and and over time that enables you to build relationships with people you know you physically have lunch with someone or you have a discussion with someone that you wouldn't have on a video call those things accumulate over time and i think as long as we acknowledge that and plan for it and, and to some degree have the self-discipline to do it then then the choices that we will benefit from the choices that we make does that make sense I think if we all said I'm never going into the office again I'm just going to sit and work at home I know from my own from my own experience that can be really tempting but I also know if I do it too much it, it, it it's not good for my mental health it's not good for my motivation. Um, you know, would I still develop the same relationships with people over over time? Uh, I, I don't think I would. Mm. So, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I think. I, I think. You know, yeah. basically, we have choices, and I think we need to be mindful about those different choices. One one thing I will say is, I think there's probably a gener you know, people like my generation or my age who can remember working in the office four or five times a week. Therefore, I intuitively understand the benefits of it because I've seen them, you know, so I've seen relationships I've had. I, I know experiences I've had. It's almost like I always think sometimes going to the office is a bit like going to the gym. You don't necessarily always want to do it, but you rarely regret it. You know what I mean? It's pretty rare I come out from a, a face-to-face -face day and think oh, I wish I hadn't done that you know unless there's some traffic or travel nightmare and it's normally oh man I really enjoyed that discussion and this meeting was productive and we talked about things that we wouldn't have done normally uh, and wasn't it great to see so-and-so um, but I may not have been thinking that before I went in so I think my, my point is I do wonder what will happen if we have a dynamic where people have frankly gone through their entire career to date and they don't have that ingrained feeling or maybe even maybe it's just nostalgia about the benefits of that balanced way of working so I think that will flush through the workforce and and they'll of course develop their own new ways of working and new experiences um, so I do, I do think there's some fairly fundamental change coming in the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what they always say, sometimes the best conversations are the ones that you have around the coffee machine, right? It's by 100%. the water cooler. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know that, that's where you're really going to build and your it, bonds. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's not just a social thing, right? You know, I've, I can't count the number of times I've gone into an office for a specific reason and specific agenda and ended up tackling a topic or making an agreement or finding an opportunity or helping someone or being helped in a way that, you know it wasn't planned I just didn't expect it to happen um, now I think there's ways you can do that by working remotely but again you have to be mindful you have to think mm -hmm. 
do you know what? I'm just going to pick up the phone and call this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't got a meeting scheduled with them. But, yeah. I, yeah, I, no, that's really interesting. You know, I was going to ask you, so especially let's think maybe back to COVID where it was fully remote working. As a leader, how did you encourage your staff to say, hey, look, my door's open. Just because we're not in the office, I'm still here. You can reach out to me. Like, what advice would you give to other leaders who are in that position that might be struggling to build that connection with their staff? It's quite difficult to build a relationship with people virtual working. It, it, it's, not, it's pretty easy to maintain a relationship with people. So if you physically never met, then you do have to invest in a slightly different way. And I think you have to invest in, um, you know, all the standard tenets of communication and leadership. You know, people do need a vision. They do need to understand there's a strategy and a plan. Um, they do need expectation setting. Um, and, and they do need multiple media and multiple channels of communication. So I think as a, as a leader, following all the things that you would normally do, you know, yes, we're going to have formal quarterly all hands and structured one-on-ones and, um, you know, we will try. I mean, obviously in COVID, we couldn't even meet at all. But as much as possible to keep that structure of expectation you know I know I'm going to get this communication I know I'm going to get that communication expectations have been set I th but I think if you're working more predominantly remotely then you have to over invest in those things and you have to also be very mindful that if you haven't met people physically or you know of course if you're leading a team of hundreds of people you may not have met everyone physically but you may have been in a room. They may have seen you presenting. You may have, you know, said hello as you finished a presentation or something like that. There's definitely a human connection that's a little bit different. You have to, you, you, you can't fall back on assumptions that people know you, know your values, trust you, want to follow you. I think creating that followership, if you like, um, requires even more investment than when you're working in a exclusively face-to-face -face environment. Um, so I don't think any of those principles change because it's remote. I think you just need to perhaps over-invest. But also, I think the bit that gets missed is a little bit like we were just talking about now. It's that informal ad hoc thing where you can just see someone, hey, great, how are you? What's you know, tell me about that. Or you might notice you pick up on body language sometimes face to face that you don't remotely. Um, and you might f find reason to just pull someone aside and ask if everything's okay, because you saw a reaction or you saw that just someone didn't quite seem themselves. I I've been on the receiving end of that. I, I can remember at least two occasions actually over um, over lockdown, where I'd been in some difficult meetings, um, you know, people were stressed, I was stressed, I was frankly pretty grumpy on, on one or two calls, and I can remember very profoundly one, and, and actually probably two occasions, where I'd finish a meeting, and someone called me, I said, you're right, 
not, you weren't your normal self on that meeting. And I, I sort of, I remember sitting back and just saying, do you know what, I really, really appreciate you calling me. I, I actually am all right. I just was a bit, I was slightly losing the will to live with that particular topic or I was just a bit, I'd had a bit of a stressful day for some other reason and maybe I was a bit grumpy. But fundamentally, I was fine. I was absolutely fine. But the, the point I'm making is someone made that decision. They, they could have just jumped onto their next call, but they didn't. They stopped and they initiated a contact that wasn't scheduled. And we probably only talked for a couple of minutes. And it, it, made, it meant the world to me, not because I had a massive problem that day. I really didn't. But it made me just sit back and think, wow, that is a really great reflection of the culture and, and of the people that I'm working with. So I think my, my point is, yes, you've got to do all the big macro stuff as a leader and you've got to instill you know, strategy, structure and the formal communication. But sometimes just going out of the way and breaking the cycle of the formal communication and the structured communication at the right time can, can mean the world to people. Yeah. And I think that's probably the, the danger, the biggest danger we have in more hybrid working is that we lose that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. And it's, it's bringing that human kind of nature. It's like, look, guys, it's, yeah, we, we work together, it's business, but it's like it's bringing in that kindness as well that, you know. I, uh, I, I'm a, a massive believer of, in that. I always say to people, look, you know, it's important what we're doing. It's stressful, you know, people's livelihoods are affected and so on. But, but come on, you know, nothing that bad's going to happen because that software project, you know, had a challenge in it. Let's just, let's just remind ourselves of, of what we're doing, why we're doing it, you know. Let's just think about certain other careers or, or vocations where decisions and challenges are literally life and death and you know just just reflect on that sometimes um yeah you know again I, i'm a massive believer in um work to live you know yes our careers can be incredibly demanding um, and rewarding and you know you can you can get an awful lot from what you do at work of course you can and and they drive our lifestyles. Um, we spend a lot of time doing it. But I, I, I encourage everyone in, you know, even as part of developing your career, go and do something else as well. You know, make sure you know what it is at the outside your job. Why are you doing it? What do you do to get away from it? But I've got many, many hobbies that are, I was reflecting on it the other day actually, most of my career has been about simulating, virtualizing, and creating artificial versions of things. You know, I've been doing a bit of work with an artificial intelligence company recently. I've yeah. simulated everything from nuclear explosions to aeroplanes to tanks to the vision of locusts was one particular high point. Um, <laughs> but all my hobbies are things that are very connected with the physical world. So... That might be fishing, 
fly fishing, you know, standing in a river, beautiful river, trying to figure out what a salmon's doing and, and what the river's doing. I've been keeping bees this year. You know, that's a very oh, nice. physical thing. You know, you're literally trying to work out what the natural processes are in this physical thing. I've got, you know, I've got a, a, a classic Italian motorbike and that couldn't be a more visceral physical experience. You know, it's big, it's heavy, it's brutal, it smells of petrol and it'll throw you in a hedge if you don't pay attention, you know. So these are very connected with the physical world experiences. They couldn't be more um, different to sitting in front of a computer yeah. having a video conversation about software. Do, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so I personally, we talked about work-life work balance earlier on in the discussion. I, I give people a bit of a hard time if I think they're working a lot of hours. I don't, I, I think this whole you know, I'm, I work 50, 60 hours this week and I always work hard and I, I'm not impressed by that. I, I, I think that's, um, you know, don't get me wrong. We all have to do it sometimes. I've done it. I've done all-nighters. I've, I've worked, you know, 27 hours straight. Um, I've worked over weekends. I've travelled, you know, crazy, done crazy hours, of course. In our industry, typically, though, you have to sort of empower people to know people might make demands on you that will cause you to work a lot. It's not very often someone's going to call you and say, you had a really big week last week, take it easy this week. You worked late last night, go and play golf this afternoon. So, however, as, as a leader, I've always tried to empower people to say, look, generally... You know what needs to be done. You're a smart person. You've got your objectives. You, you know, we all know what we're trying to do. You should be managed and measured on your output and your achievements. And that shouldn't be how many hours did you do. It should be, do we have a fair agreement and understanding of what it is you're trying to achieve? Do you have everything that you need to do it? You know, you definitely need to shout if, if you need some help and support that's going to stop that. And frankly, if you've got it done and you did choose to go and do something else one afternoon, you should feel empowered to do that. But I don't, and I think most leaders would say the same thing. Well, I know they would, most that I talk to. The difficulty is I'm not sure everyone really internalises that empowerment and really feels okay doing that. So i think it's something we all have to work on i have to work on it every day you know what do i do to make myself efficient you know do what i need to do don't struggle with things that i am struggling with if i need help or support know when to work and know when not to work yeah sounds that's amazing advice that is that's absolutely amazing and you know i suppose doing all these um you know activities that you say are so real world do you think that's kind of stopped the burnout you know for you like to stop you know yeah. manage the stress yeah, 100% 100% yeah. you know and it sounds a bit tenuous but if I can you know talking about that um blurring between work and home one of the things I really like to do is I like I go to the gym uh which can on the face of it be quite mundane and, and dull but again it's a very 
vis visceral physical experience. But I like to try and plan my day so that I finish work at a reasonable time. And the first thing I do is I get out of the office, I don't stop, I don't think about it, I go to the gym and I clear my head. So I'm thinking about what I'm doing, I'm concentrating on what I'm doing, but I'm also mulling over stuff from the day, shuffling it around, adjusting what I might need to do the next day or, or later on in the week. And I try and do that as my sort of watershed between work and home. Now, of course, I don't always succeed. And I can tell you now, there's a time in the evening beyond which if I haven't gone to the gym, it's not happening. Because yeah. what I want to do is cook dinner and have a glass of wine. So, yeah. but but that's the intention I set out with. But yeah, I, so so burnout in terms of I give myself something that stop. You know, that's the end of my work day. Yeah. Um, and obviously physically moving around. You know, I was reflecting the other day. Now I don't go into London three or four days a week. The amount of steps I walk and the amount of hustling up and down escalators and things like that <laughs> has dropped off. And if I don't yeah. get up and move around, the amount of movement I do in a week is is, is definitely reduced. Yeah, no, absolutely. So look, final question from me. Let's pretend we're back to the future, okay? So we could go back in a time machine, okay? Uh, and you could talk to your 21-year-old self. <laughs> what advice would you give him? And this could be totally non-work related. What advice would you give him? Great, Scott. It's the flux capacitor fluxing. Yeah. Would you just give an almanac, would you? Go, here you go. Oh, man, that is such a big question. And um, Well, one of the bits of advice I try and give 53-year-old self is, you know, the past is the past. And you get to a certain age where if you haven't got to the age, if I haven't got to my age without having some regrets, I kind of wasn't trying hard enough. So I, I, I try and think back over the last 30 years and think, yeah, are there things I would have done differently? Are there things I would say to 21-year-old me? Yeah, there definitely are. And, and I could pin that down to some decisions I made, personal and professional. But then that's sort of saying, well, you know, they're big regrets and I, you know, I can't do anything about that. You know, and even if 21-year-old me could do something about that if he did what would be the difference in my life now but I think some of the principles I'd want to talk about are the things that I probably feel more profoundly now and I wish I'd done, understood then and, and some of that's physically you know don't underestimate the power of your youth and, and, and f the, the blessing that you have of fitness health strength stamina you know enjoy it savor it look after it I you know I had a period in my sort of 20s where I didn't really do a lot physically and then you know at 30 I took up taekwondo and, and I got myself really fit and and I and I've tried to maintain that since I would say enjoy all of it because it's gone you know and yeah. and and Frankly, none of us are getting out of here alive. I, I definitely subscribe to that sort of motto. You know, we, we, we've got this go. Make the most of it and enjoy all of it. And you're going to have challenges. That book by Arnold Schwarzenegger, actually, he talks a lot about that. 
you know, he's had the stuffing knocked out of him so many times. Um, but he enjoys the journey. And I think that's what I would say to 21-year-old me. Say, go at it. Have fun. Keep Do all the stupid things you're going to do. Make all the wrong decisions. Most of them turn out, as it happens, to be decent decisions. Go for it. Don't dwell on the things that knock you back and look after yourself and, and savour it. Yeah, that's amazing advice. And, you know, I, I love that. I love that concept that, you know, people are always rushing to, to get to the destination, right? It's always like they forget about enjoying the journey that it takes to get there. So that's fabulous advice. And yeah, thank you so much, uh, Rob. This has been so enlightening. It's been so wonderful to hear your views. And yeah, thank you a lot for your, for your contribution. Well, thanks, Farah. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. 